HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome to another riveting and cheesy episode of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby, and our show today has been sponsored by Fairway, like no other market, and is being produced and engineered by Nat Wiener. Uh, Heritage Radio Network, for those of you who haven't been, is located in the uh, backyard of Roberta's Pizzeria, best pizza and fried chicken in town at uh, 261 Moore Street in Bushwick, Brooklyn. So stop on by any time and have a pie or two while, you know, watching weirdos like us back out here in the shipping container recording radio shows. It's, it's way more fun than just eating pizza and, you know, staring at a flat screen. Um, so my guest today is none other than the world-famous Steve Jenkins, Fairway Market's own cheese guru and one of my own personal cheese heroes. Um, Steve and I are going to discuss the idea of cheese idioms, something that I was uh, sort of absolutely tickled by when he suggested it. I'm a a huge dork, uh, admittedly. I love language and sort of the intersection of language and food and uh, think that to talk about idioms in terms of tastes and archetypes of different styles of cheeses is really, really fun. So um, thanks for being on the show, Steve. Thanks for letting me invite myself. <laughs> Absolutely no problem. When I got that email, I was like, "Really? You want to? You would hang out with me and be in my show?" <laughs> I, I'm I'm here because I'm so impressed with what what you've done in such a short time. I'm here because I love coming to Roberta's. I mean, this is like the 87th time I've come here. I love being out here, and the combination of getting to talk to you. And be here at Roberta's is like as fun as as things can get. Oh man! Well, but I mean, I'm, I'm blushing. I'm a fairway guy, but it sounds a little crass that we're sponsoring the show. It sounds like, yeah, well, 
we'll sponsor your show, but you got to have me on. <laughs> but that's not the way it works. It's not the way it works. It, the, sh- <clears throat> the sponsors, in fact, at Heritage Radio are randomly rotated. It's like the bingo lotto yeah. thing. You know, yeah. the bubble balls, and they would exactly. come out and announce the numbers. We yeah. just got fairway. It's I think totally it was egalitarian and no, yeah. no rhyme or reason, but... I, I got my outfit to to give these guys money because I love what they do. And you young people like talking to old guys that have been doing this for so long. So I said, what the heck? I'm here, man. I love being here. I don't see any old guys in this room. Yeah, right. Come on. Well, there's that cat. Henry looks like he might be a little bit old. <laughs> but well, so I have to start by, you know, telling you a, a ridiculous story. Um, I have to confess, I have a copy of your book, The Cheese Primer actually here but it's in uh this it's in the recording studio with nat and um it was given to me on my very first day on the job at murray's back in 2003 there was this manager named everett presley in the first day I wow was there. what a great name yeah such a good name and i and so he gave me a copy of your book and i remember taking it out on my lunch break to uh father demo square which is a kind of sure. seedy little triangular yeah, I know park and um just flipping through it, eating a slice of pizza and thinking like, oh, my God, there is so much to know. Well, but you were already an idiot savant when you got to Murray's, <laughs> right? Well, no, I just knew I just knew I liked eating cheese a lot and figured that I could like fudge my way through the rest, you know, yeah. and, and hopefully by eating my weight in uh, samples could begin to describe what cheese I is think like of, to other I think people. of Ann Saxelby as, as just being born really smart and knowing all this stuff you know from the get-go you're telling me that when you were down there you didn't really know all the stuff you know now i knew nothing yeah no absolutely nothing i my favorite cheese in fact and maybe i don't want to sound like a snob but my favorite cheese on the first day i remember was fromage dauphinois which is this kind of like yeah like a factory cheese it's like no big deal yeah factory cheese it's like brie but they kind of make it look like carvel or something it's kind of fancy Kind of more ice creamy than brie. You are a snob. Yeah, I know. I know. I like Carvel and and Dairy Queen and all the rest of it. But well, so after you know after that after I got your book, I really I like kept it on my bedside table, and instead of you know reading like whatever else I would read before I would go to bed, I would pick like a region or a couple cheeses. Well, heck, that's how you're supposed to do your whole life. Everybody out there, find the book that teaches you stuff and stick with it until you learn it all that's the only way you can be the best absolutely so yeah instead of like you know when i would go to sleep instead of having like sugar plum fairies or whatever else i had like little cheese goblins and italian shepherds you know dancing around that's great in my head that's the way it's supposed to be so thank you for writing that awesome book i can't believe that that you didn't already know all that stuff no i really knew nothing i knew that i liked cheese and wine and and I said and I was like, well, I don't want to pay to go to school to learn it, so yeah. I figure I'll just get jobs where I get Smart. to be around people who love it, and hopefully that's just, how it's done. Yeah, find something that uh, nobody else is doing much of, and and decide you're going to learn everything there is to know about it, and do it. That's how you get happy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like these guys at Roberta's, they they built this place from you know an old abandoned uh, you know warehouse. Yeah. I've been here, I tell you, so many times, and it's just the joy of my life to come to Roberta's. This is the coolest joint in there town. is. Yeah, yeah. And where do you live? Are you? Are you? I'm Upper West Sider for hundred years. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, we get around, but you know, my wife and I've raised kids up there, and 
But, you know, we get around. We come to BAM and we come to St. Anne's. For everything that's at St. Anne's, we're there. Okay. For everything that's at BAM, we're there, you know. So we, you know, we get around. Definitely. I saw Richard Foreman's play with Willem Dafoe a couple of nights ago. I just, wow. I've aged out of Richard Foreman. I can't take it anymore. I've never been to one of his plays, but I was in, I went to art school at NYU. That's that's kind of what led me to cheese, I guess. Yeah. I figured for me, cheese was art that people Definitely. could eat. It's very artsy. Yeah. And not pretentious yeah but like we're, we're Wooster project freaks for a hundred years we've we've my wife and i've always been Wooster project people mm-hmm. and willem was you know significant with uh, elizabeth lecomte and they broke up and no more willem defoe in in Wooster group so oh. he's he does a lot of still experimental theater and, and he certainly has worked with richard foreman before but Wooster group is the most brilliant thing that ever walked on the earth it was every most brilliant outfit that's ever been in the theater ever and if you move away from wooster group it's just not gonna be as coherent and extraordinary as anything else and you know richard form is just not my cup of tea it's just too whacked out and willem defoe it's kind of tell us about it it's kind of weird right it's kind of like lots of random sounds and noises and screaming and it's not everybody's cup of tea but it's just I, I, for me to sit here and pass judgment on that kind of work is is ridiculous. But I'm I'm a Wooster Group person, not a Richard Foreman person, well, and I'm an Elizabeth Lecomte person. I'm not a Willem Dafoe person, and to each his own. Yeah, yeah. It's like fromage dauphinois or Jarlsberg. It's your choice <laughs> yeah. doesn't mean it's a bad choice. It just may not be as informed a choice or as tasteful a choice. It's, it's Nobody or as like judge. you know, won't, maybe won't leave you thinking about it for that much long after you eat it, or it might right. leave you, you know, with like a little resonating, you know. That's the whole deal. Is you want to be thinking about it after you've tasted it, or after you've seen the the theater group, or whatever. You know, if you're thinking yeah. about it, that that means that it was something special. Now you were in theater yourself before you got into cheese, right? Mm, yeah. So what? How did that transition happen for you? Well, I just I didn't. I, I got plenty of roles back in the seventies. I I was okay. I was I did soaps and got money for it, and I did nice. a few commercials and got money for it, but not enough. And I I didn't like auditioning, and I didn't like the material. I didn't like most of the theater. I didn't like the directors that I had, and I didn't like anything about the theater world. I was not happy. It just was not for me. I, I had devoted myself to the literature for all those, you know, four, five, six years that a young man or a young young woman will do. And you think this is going to be my, my metier is theater and the literature of the theater and the business of Stanislavski and who said an actor's business is knowing everything there is to know about everything. And that kind of theory made sense to me because I... I, I wanted to know everything there was to know about everything, but I didn't like the literature and I didn't like the directors and I didn't like auditioning and I didn't like standing around in line and I didn't like anything about it. So I got a job where I could pursue knowing everything there is to know about everything, but not having to put up with directors and other actors and bad scripts and all of that. You're nonsense. your own show. The the cheese the cheese counter, program at Fairway. If you get a counter for whatever food stuff you're selling, you got your own show. Yes, you do. That and that, I, I fell into having a, my own venue where, if it made sense to me, I was going to make it make sense to you. It happened to be cheese, 
But that was just because I needed a job. But but as I say, Stanislavski said, an actor's business is to know everything there is to know about everything, or you can't be as good an actor as you're supposed to be. So for you, you know, having your own show behind the cheese counter, then it totally makes sense, you know, in reading your book, how much to heart you, you took that comment. Because when you go through the cheeses, it's not just like, oh, this cheese tastes like blah, blah, blah. Or this cheese yeah, is made right. in like this part of France. It's like it begins with like the etymology exactly. of the cheese. Like where did the name come Why from? Why do they call it that? Yeah. What, what, what did that mean? And when did that happen? And it turns out it was really pretty much an issue of where they were. Yeah. Most of those names came from where they were. And I was always knocked out by that. And I was always offended by all this stuff from our company, our country, United States, where we would give names to things that was just didn't make any sense at all and didn't pay any respect at all to that item that was being named. Whereas the Europeans, they'd name it after the closest town. Or, and, and this is where I like the sort of language part and the part that I think is so brilliant about your book, and I don't have it right in front of me, so I can't say it as well as I want to, but Reblochon, mm-hmm. which is one of the more famous cheeses An in exception France, to the rule. Yeah, was an exception to the rule yeah. in that it was named after a verb, right? Named after a slang verb that meant to milk again and had nothing to do with anything in Savoie or any village that was close to Reblochon because it, it predated any of those settlements. They were always remilking those cattle. They were always milking again the cattle to pay a tithe or, or some kind of rent or some kind of tax to the powers that be in that neighborhood of Savoie, which was all forests, and very few of those forests were cleared for pasture land. The ones that were cleared for pasture land had animals on them that were giving milk. But whoever ran the forest was the boss. And if you had that pasture, you had to pay some money to that guy to uh, enable your animals to live mm-hmm. so that you could survive. So to Le Blocher was to milk again because you would you would say, Ah, oh, how are you? It's good to see you. Here's the milk that I owe you for the rent and you'd give him the milk. Steve's making milking motions. Making Everyone <laughs> can can picture that right now. <laughs> and, and the guy go, Oh, that's great and he goes away and then you continue to milk. You made him think that the cow or the sheep or the goat was finished, but they weren't. You just made him think that they were, and then he'd go away and then you would finish the milking. And the milk that you would get from having made that that lady animal stop becomes very rich when you begin to milk her again it's like when you're peeing and you stop peeing and yeah and you want to pee again and you begin <laughs> it just feels so good it's the same thing with a lactating uh female sheep or goat or cow when you begin to milk her again and she gives the richest milk at that time in the ray blochet so that the cheese that you mil- make from that is, is is richer and creamier and more flavorful than the milk that you just gave to the tax man and that's where I that name came, and that's where that name came from and it just goes back beyond when it was Savoie beyond when it was Savoie was part of Piedmont beyond there was any duke there just back when folks ran different neighborhoods of that beautiful part of the Alps yeah. and the guys that controlled the the trees were the Gruyères that's really? where the word Gruyère that's the, came from I didn't know yeah, that so Gruyère is not a not the name of a town. Well, it is the name of a town all over. There's one in Valais, and there's one in, in Schwitz, there's one in, in Savoie, and there's one on, uh, in Franche-Comté. There's all these places named Gruyere, but Gruyere came from the people that ran the forests. 
Wow. The, the people that controlled the trees were the people that were the had the puissance, had the had the power because logs, trees were made to burn, to make fire. And if you had fire, you you were the recipient of like the nuclear plant, the nuclear fuel. And Gruyere is was traditionally made over fire exactly. in a copper vat. Had to cook the curd. Yeah. Yeah. So I was thinking a lot about this. And so in a, in a lot of ways, the cheeses of Europe are like, are a lot like the evolution of language in that exactly. they happen, you know, it, it, like the little patois and the little dialect, the cheeses happened in small regions over many, many years because of a myriad of factors, um, you know, trial and error, <laughs> trial and error. Yeah. But also, you know, um, uh, you know, they, they, it depended on political stuff, you know, like what, what kind of taxes they had to pay. It depended on, uh, um, you know, like military stuff, like were they being invaded by people? Were they exposed to other cultures or were it, was it very insular? That's um, why Sardinia is so amazing. All those cheesemakers that are there are all inland. You know, there's nobody on the coast. The pastures are the same on the coast, but they all had to be inland because everybody that came by Sardinia would raid it and take it over. The only way you could be safe was inland. So that whole culture is very much the same as Savoie, where you're up in the mountains to be safe. And you're deep in the forest to be safe from from everybody's trying to rip you off and take control of everything. So this whole thing of cheese making that predates villages and, and words, it, it was all about being safe. Yeah. And having that that thing, that that food that was going to sustain you and your family. Because and you couldn't drink all that milk at once because it would spoil. So you had to figure out how to preserve some of that milk that you had. That was your gold. That was your lucre. So you, you learned by trial and error how to curd it up so that it would last for weeks and months and or years. Well, so I think um, we have to take a quick break, but I think it's a perfect time to do it because when we come back, maybe we can talk a little bit about the American phenomenon of naming their cheeses weird, random things and how that really makes sense with all the stuff we're just talking about. So we will be right back on Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. So welcome back to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network, sponsored by Fairway Market. Not for And Steve is in no way, shape, or form uh, behind that tonight. It's a random lottery <clears throat> of sponsors. Um, and Fairway is one of the original cheese counters in New York City. And so I think it's very appropriate that they are helping us out with the show. Um, so Steve and I were just talking about the cheeses of cheeses of Europe and how they developed stylistically, how the names evolved from the place, but also from how the cheeses were made. 
And he made a comment back in the beginning of the show about American cheeses and how they kind of bugged him. Did you say they bugged you or was that, am I just inferring that? Well, I think that's mostly a product of the fact that I'm just a geezer. <laughs> I'm an old lady at heart, too. So, yeah, th- these these young people coming in here and making up cheese names like Constant Bliss and like Bloomsday and like <laughs> Buck Hill Sunshine and God, I could go on and Four on. Four Corners. Four Corners. Hey, that's the name of the town, Heartland Four Corners. But so it's very, I think it's very interesting, this um, American cheese making tradition that we have, which, you know, is 20 years old or 30 years old, maybe compared with a European tradition that's hundreds of years old. And in the beginning, you know, back in like the 60s and 70s, when people were really starting to make, you know, um, sort of more handmade cheeses here, a lot of times, you know, language is something that allows us to form a frame around things. It puts, it lets us put things into buckets and categories and identify where they come from. And so I think in the beginning, Americans were naming their cheeses, feta and Gouda and Valence and other French names or Dutch names or whatever names, because that's the only way that people would have any frame of reference for what they were talking about. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Feta is an exception, like Reblochon. Feta just means a hunk as big as your head. It just means slice. And and only it was only a couple of years ago that in the middle of the night, the Greeks internationally trademarked the name Feta so that no other country or company in another country other than Greece could legally call their cheese Feta, which is okay with me in principle or in practice in that, yeah, I mean, if you are the progenitor and the originator of a certain substance in this case a cheese you ought to have some rights to it but you know where 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 do you draw the line the the cypriots did the same thing with halloumi Mm. which is a place name and deserves to be name controlled for cypriots but it doesn't address the fact that for for quite a few decades other countries and Businesses in other countries have been making the exact same, self-same recipe of a cheese that they refer to as halloumi. Suddenly, from one night to the next, and literally in the night they did this, they internationally wow. trademarked halloumi the same way the Greeks did feta. You wow. can't call it halloumi anymore. So that's why I say to Ann Saxelby, I like the notion of naming your cheese after the closest village that has a Wawa or a 7-Eleven or something, something that you can put your finger on and say, this is, is Valence. This is, this is Chavignol. This is, this is Libertyville. In my case, I grew up in Libertyville. Libertyville. That does not have much called Libertyville. It would have to have like blueberries and strawberries in it or something. You know, there's Albertville in, uh, in Franche Comté, but they don't call Comté Albertville, but they call it Comté after the count the that was in that region. So, you know, Libertyville. Yeah, it doesn't have much of a ring to it. What I county? Think, what county was it in? Lake County. That's not even a good name either. No, no. You got to, like, but in the Northeast, they've got some good little names. Well, they've got terrific names. Like, Indian names. Yeah. Iroquois. Yeah, Winnemere. Sure. What, a Jasper Hill cheese named after a little lake. That's splendid. Um, 
Constant Bliss is actually that's named after a guy who I was love that name, killed in battle, really? a Revolutionary War soldier. Really? Yeah, Constant Bliss. There's a little monument in the middle of Greensboro, Vermont. Wow. Um, and it's to Constant Bliss and his compatriot Moses Sleeper, who oh were both killed um, by Indians back way back when. Would they have been Iroquois or Mohawks? Oh. Had to be one of those tribes. Yeah, I don't know. But those are splendid names. Yeah, yeah. And so I feel like American cheesemakers are starting to get it. They're starting to feel less insecure mm. about yeah. their cheesemaking uh, identities and starting to seek out ways to make their cheeses, you know, name place specific. As opposed to that Wisconsin outfit, the owner of which is a really good friend of mine, Erico Arricchio. You know, he comes from the great Arricchio family that made provolone. the great provolone. Yeah. And he, he is he the side of the family. He moved to Wisconsin? He's the side of the family that moved to Wisconsin. I'm making a, a, a really great story a little bit too long, but yeah. I, I would say to Erico, why did you move here? And he, he told me the first time I'd ever heard that from any, any European. He said that in the United States, the pastures are better, the animals are better, the business climate is better. The opportunity is better. And this was like the first wow. day I ever realized that, you know, the United States is a pretty cool place to be an artisan, to do something like making cheese. If I'm going to hear this from the scion of the most famous cheese-making family in Europe, that we've got better animals and better soil and better herbage that comes out of that soil and a better business climate than, you know, that's not too darn bad. So anyway. And that was a while ago, though, right? When did that he was, come that was over good. here? Probably, he told me that probably 10 years ago. Wow. That's a long time for us. And I mean, yeah, it's a long time for us. And it's also pretty visionary for someone from Italy to see past, you know, the corn and soybeans or whatever it is that we're known for, you know, and, and get into those little yeah. little niches of pasture land in Wisconsin and say, hey, this is it. And find out what all those little species of clover are that grow, those little gentians and all of those little things that have esters that find their way through the mammal lactation into the milk and, and, and give character to that milk. And he found out, he found out that there's all kinds of little wild things that, that grow that his cows consume. And then, then the girls make it come through the mammal lactation and into the milk. That's fabulous. But what I wanted to tell you is, Erico named his cheese that's like Parmesan something just preposterous to get the vegetarian market because he used vegetable vegetable rennet in it and it ended up sounding like a you know like a like a like female a, a body part it was like like vegano vegano and he actually called it that and of course, the consortio for Parmigiano Reggiano jumped all over his case. And says, they you can't like, call this cheese that. They are like the secret police. Yes. The consortio for Parmigiano. Well, they, yes, they are. But they're also the biggest hypocrites that ever walked the earth. I mean, they're marketing their cheese now in, in shavings and, 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 and sticks. Parmigiano Reggiano. And they're allowing it to happen. They should be ashamed of themselves. I remember when I was at Murray's, um, the consortio came through. I think it was during the fancy food show or something like that and we had this basket of rinds that we would sell to people for sure. soup and whatever yeah. else dogs dogs exactly and um they were mad <gasps> they were pissed because you never told me that the they gave a beef because you had a, a basket of rinds we have a basket of no but because the grana padano rinds were mixed in with the parmigiano rinds and they were all labeled oh. parmigiano rinds and well, i thought people. to myself wow 
I was like, I understand about the cheese, but, you know, that's taking it a bit too far. That's really, that's the pits, those people. <laughs> so they, they threw big beef about Vegan <laughs> and took them to court. And um, they can't call it that anymore. But that's a perfect example of a European, I mean, it's, that's 180 degrees. I mean, European... Erico should have just paid them to say that, hey, the name was really bad. They should change it. You know, the, forget the legal fees. <laughs> I wasn't using my head that night. Yeah. It's just bad taste. Yeah. <laughs> but isn't that funny that, that a European would come here and make some phony baloney name like that and have to litigate it and everything when, you know, they're the people that originally would give things the right name. Uh, cheese from Parma and from Reggio, two, two uh, important cities in Emilia-Romagna, where in between were all the pastures where the great grating cheese that we know as Parmesan came from because of Parma and Reggio. Parmigiano Reggiano. And that's how Ann Saxelby and I think cheeses ought to be named is if if you can't find a locale, find constant bliss. I mean, that's the most beautiful name I've ever heard. Yeah. Yeah. It's Wouldn't you really, say? I it's mean. really nice. It's really nice. A lot of those old Yankee names were very nice. Actually, there's also Consider Bardwell Farm. Consider Bardwell drives me crazy. That's the prettiest name. Yeah. Consider Stebbins Bardwell. That is so pretty. That's his name. Was I, that a woman? No, man. Constant and consider were both men. Yeah. Wouldn't yeah. you th- have thought that a mom and dad would have named their daughter those two names, not a boy? Yeah. I'm really surprised to hear that. It's, I don't know, maybe it's some of those like Yankee values, you know? It's kind of like uh, honor and rigor and Well, yeah, but the, uh, the, and... the chastity, you know, and the, and the purity and the... Those are always women, girl, little baby girls. That's true. If they named their sons Chastity, they wouldn't probably get very far. (laughs) Or Vagiano. Or Vagiano. (laughs) (laughs) But my favorite ones are are French. I mean, I I really earned my stripes by going down every single little road in every single region of France and just marveling over all the sweet names that are all places for all these cheeses that Anne Saxelby and me have been selling all these years. I mean, Pouligny Saint Pierre, a little teeny village. I made Pouligny Saint Pierre. Really? I, li- I lived in the Loire Valley for a while. <gasps> oh, and my made God. Pouligny Saint Pierre, Saint Maur, and uh, Salsichere. Saint Maur. Now that's something interesting that I don't know that our listeners care about or are interested in but but you know, we care about it so i care so about deeply it. about it i mean saint moore is the great log-shaped goat cheese that comes from south of tour which is the region known as touraine which is in central france and and the great log of goat cheese with a piece of straw down the middle is named after a little village south of tour that's called saint moore but what's interesting to me about it is that saint has an e on the end of it and that means it's a female saint Mm-hmm. So way back when there was a there was a, a woman whose name was Moore. And that word comes from M double O R. This is M A U R E, Sant Moore. But it came from the Moors that were there back in, in four hundred BC when the when wow. the when the Arabs were in that part of what we knew then as Gaul. And there was some woman who who was either born and raised um in Islam or became converted to Christianity before 400 AD, not BC, yeah. in 400 AD. And 
D.H. Lawrence wrote a little novella about Saint Moore. About Saint Moore. The, yeah. the cheese or the woman? The, a horse. A horse? Yeah, Saint Moore was a horse. Okay. But anyway, that's a very lovely thing to call a cheese, Saint Moore. Yeah, that is that is absolutely beautiful. Well, and it, I feel like a lot of what... That's very interesting because a lot of what I taste in European cheeses, and I don't get to taste enough of them lately because, you know, I only sell American stuff, but you really taste kind of like layers and like a patina and, you know, just kind of um, this uh, incredible, I don't know, sort of, it's like a filtering, you know, when, when you have the cheese in your mouth, it kind of filters through all these different little minutia and nuances of flavor. And with some American cheeses, I don't get that quite as much yet. You know what I mean? They're good cheeses. They're solid. You think it's the milk or the cheese making? I think it's the cheese making. I think it's both. I think it's everything. It's like that language that we were talking about. You know what I mean? It's because of all of those years of building up all those little experiences from the goats being in that region for a certain area or for goat mm-hmm. be, the goats being in the region for a certain reason. And, uh, you're in the it, region because of the Moors from 400 AD. Exactly. And, and so it has this kind of just like grand culture behind it. No pun intended. That is, you know, culture. just kind of lacking, you know, yeah. <laughs> I can't help myself. Cheese lends itself to a million stupid puns. Um, but so I feel like our cheesemakers are getting that now. Like the cheeses are starting to taste more deep and more sort of uh, profound like that. But that is a difference, you know? Profound is, is being where you made Pouligny St. Pierre, where there are hummingbirds and there's bees and there's, there's songbirds. You think they've eaten every bird that flew over. But they haven't. It's it's a it's a lush part of Europe where all of these esters and all of these pollens are floating around, and they f- affect things that grow that these animals eat, and they produce this milk that's magical. And usually, the person making the cheese has done it for generations, and so there's something magical with that. Yeah. Well. We have, unfortunately, a short time left, but in that short time, maybe you can just explain, you know, real quick, the word esters. I mean, if we're talking about language, esters has always been a word that I love, but that I haven't quite been able to put my finger on if somebody asked me how to define it. So what would you say about esters? I'd say an ester is the same thing that makes a, a young red wine tannic and sort of bitter. I would say ester is is that... that, that rusty thing that's in a in a species of mountain gentian a purple wildflower that that a cow in fresh conte eats near the village of jacks and and her milk has that ester within it and that cheesemaker appreciates that and when that cheesemaker makes that blue to jacks she knows that she doesn't have to pierce that blue cheese because that ester is in that cheese is going to feed those bacteria and they're going to multiply and blew out and form that make that cheese be a blue to jacks. An ester is is a magical living substance that exists in things that live that you can't really rub onto the back of your hand, but they're going to be there if your animals eat it and then you milk them. It's like a little primordial flavor. It's like it's just some, a little primordial stew. And the of, only evidence of it is when you smell a flower. That's its ester. But the ester still is within that, that, that blossom. And it's going to have to get crunched up and 
and digested. Digested and, into you to, to manifest itself. And that, well, I mean, maybe that's a that's a as funny and fitting way to end it is that you know when you when you taste a cheese, a lot of it is about smell, and oftentimes the hardest thing to do when you taste a cheese is put that smell into words, because can't articulate a, a, there's a fragrance. A, there's a feeling about it. You have some inkling of what it was, maybe like when you were six years old or something like that. But to actually find the to to describe it, it's is, an atavar of a memory that you really never had. Yeah, yeah. You think you knew, but you never really, you don't really remember. Can't quite get it. Yeah. That's why you want to sit in it. <laughs> <laughs> sit in the cheese. I like that. Yeah. I like that. You want to hatch that cheese. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I think we're going to have to keep eating to you know discover more about it. That's the only way. We're at Roberta's. And your food's probably waiting at your table, so... Uh, I didn't come here for food. I came here to talk to you. Well, hopefully you'll come back and be on the show again. This was awesome. If you say so. It was uh, incredible to have Steve Jenkins on Cutting the Curd today. Uh, join us in two weeks on the Heritage Radio Network.